Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Acacia Young. Acacia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So uh, Acacia, I've kind of got uh, four questions I'd like to ask all of my guests just to kind of get the conversational ball rolling, so to speak. So the first question I have for you is how do you start your day? Do you have any specific ritual or routine that you like to stick to on most mornings? Yeah. So when I wake up, I like to make some myself some tea. Um, I have transitioned from matcha to a, a decaffeinated, you know, herbal tea. Um, and then I like to make breakfast, just kind of take my time. And then I usually like to do just like a little bit of qigong in the morning. And I don't, I don't know your, if you're familiar with it, but I just I, like I'm not. What what is it? Go ahead and explain it. Yeah. So it's sort of, it gets, sort of gets confused with Tai Chi, which is a martial art, but Qigong is just kind of like the movement of energy, but it's like a traditional Chinese. Um, it's kind of tied to Taoism. Um, so it's just kind of movement, but it's, it's really nice. So it's kind of similar to yoga, but you don't need a mat. You can do it all standing. And so if you ever go to parks and you see people like doing these things where they just seem like they're like throwing their arms around or anything, uh, they're probably doing Qigong, but yeah, they just have like little free videos on YouTube. So I like to do like 10, 20 minutes of that in the morning just feels good. Okay. Now, now, uh, this, this Qi Gong now, uh, do you do it like with, with music and is it like a, a meditative practice along with the, 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 the physical body, uh, movement practice, or what is kind of the, the focus for you specifically in terms of doing it in the morning? Yeah. So for one, um, there are Qigong purging exercises. So it's kind of a way to purge stuck energy and get it out of your system. And it is kind of like a meditation. It's like a moving meditation, right? So it's kind of helpful for people who have a hard time sitting still. I'm happy to sit still, but I just, I like it more um, doing the movement because once you kind of learn what you're what the movement is supposed to look like, then you just kind of do it and your body just kind of takes over. So, so to me, it's a little bit more helpful to make my mind shut off by giving it a really basic task <laughs> and then just kind of repeating it over and over again. Um, so I do it just because it helps my energy in the morning, um, helps me feel good and also helps me kind of clear up. It kind of helps you scan, like, is there any tightness? Is there any tension in your body? Is it from sleeping weird? You know, so it kind of just helps you loosen up and start the day. Okay, cool. I love that. That's great. Okay. Um, now the next question, uh, and before you answer it, I've kind of already got something set up for you. So the, the <laughs> next question is, uh, what's your favorite book or podcast? Now, the best that I can, I like to, uh, before I have a conversation with a guest, I like to, usually it's Instagram because that's kind of where we're all hanging out nowadays, but I yep. like to at least do some sort of prep before I have a conversation with somebody, just so I can kind of have an idea of who they are, what they're about and kind of get uh, a feel for them, so to speak. Now, mm -hmm. I think uh, three or four posts uh, in from uh, your your Instagram, uh, you had a post about hashtag healthy adult, which is a, a book. And mm -hmm. you had a, a cool post about that because you said you don't really post about books too often, but you felt like this one was very valuable and you wanted to kind of share it with your, with your people, so to speak, right? So- yeah. Now, if you have a, a favorite book outside of hashtag healthy adult, um, you can talk about that too, but I would really love for you to kind of explain hashtag healthy adult. Why did you feel like it was, you know, valuable enough for you to post about it on Instagram and just share a little bit about what you uh, gathered from that book. Cause I'm honestly, because I read that post of yours, 
I'm going to order that book because I'm always looking for for great books. So why don't you just talk a little bit about that book, if you don't mind, Acacia, please? Yeah, of course. So I, it's funny, you know, when I was a kid and was like forced to read books, I wasn't a big reader, I think, because it was forced upon me. But sometime after college, I started picking up books again, but I drifted mostly towards nonfiction because I just really love education. I love learning. I'm really curious. Um, and it's usually around topics of psychology. You know, sometimes it falls into self-improvement, self-growth, self-help. Um, but I just find all those things really interesting. And so I had read a lot of books in that field um, that I found really helpful, but sometimes they were really dense. And so I'm very scientifically minded. I love it. You know, so I eat that up. But when I'm when I have friends that are like, oh, what would you recommend? You know, and I would re recommend some of those books, they would go, yeah, I don't know. I kind of got lost or I have to reread it a lot or I, I don't know. You know, it's just kind of over my head. And I was like, yeah, that's fair. So I kind of stopped recommending just everything that really <laughs> made sense, you know, like that I really loved all the like nitty gritty nerdy stuff. Um, so this book, I feel like ties in a lot of different concepts. Um, I feel like it ties in a lot of attachment styles, but she does a really good job of breaking it down in a very systematic way that really makes sense to me. And I'm like, ooh, that's really accessible for a lot of people. You know, I feel like she does a really good job of distilling really complex information into simple ideas or metaphors, um, which I think makes it more accessible to more people um, and then therefore can help more people. So I, I really like that she incorporates attachment styles, but she also kind of talks about like your subconscious motivations um, as being a crazy train. And so she's like, sometimes, and I like that because then it takes it away from the identity of the person where then they feel shame that they're acting in these ways and they feel like there's something wrong with them. And the idea is like, no, no, um, you've just gone to the gone to the station, bought a ticket and you're boarding the crazy train. You know, so it's like awareness of the fact that you're doing that is half the battle. And then once you do it, you can kind of slow it down, which is the same concept concept that Joe Dispenza talks about, but it's a much more accessible metaphor um, than what he talks about, which is like, you know, um, pathways in your brain that fire together, wire together. So the more often you're having this choice and you're taking this path, then the more often later in life, as soon as that trigger happens, you're already at that destination before you even know it. Right. So he kind of comes at it from like a quantum physics kind of angle. And she comes at it from a bit more of a metaphorical angle, which I really like. So to me, the healthy adult book is really accessible information for people. Um, and also I like that she mentions that talk therapy just isn't going to work for everyone, um, which I agree with. So like cognitive behavioral therapy is cognitive. So <laughs> You can only really access the parts that your consciousness is aware of. Um, but what about the things that are happening subconsciously that maybe you're not aware of? Um, so I like that um, because I do think I have a lot of friends that, you know, I personally love talk therapy. That's how I kind of, you know, get to my conclusions and have realizations. But I've also been through a lot of subconscious therapies that seem to be much more accelerated than talk therapy. So I like that idea because I have talked to a lot of people who have said, oh, yeah, therapy just isn't for me. And my immediate thought is, oh, what have you tried? Because there are many other <laughs> many other modalities out there. So maybe just the ones that you've tried haven't worked or haven't really been a fit for you. Mm. Okay. Now, 
you mentioned a couple of times in terms of this book and what it touches on is attachment styles. Uh, can you just, from your uh, recollection and from your personal, uh, you know, knowledge bank, what what are attachment styles like? What what are what are the types if you can remember them and what what is that like specifically? Yeah. So attachment styles, it's really just talking about your connection to another human being, um, but they're usually based on your connection to your caretakers when you were a kid. So you kind of have the spectrum and there are different schools of thought, right? So like originally the idea was you have an avoidant attachment style, secure in the middle or an anxious attachment style on the other end of the spectrum. Um, now they're kind of coming up with like, well, there's a couple different types of avoidance, but the gist to me is still basically the same. Um, so the idea is that based on how you attach to your caretakers as a child, that's going to play out in your relationships into adulthood. So if you were raised with a secure attachment, meaning you knew that your caretakers loved you, whether they were present or whether they were gone, you know, they always came back. Um, there was conversation about things. You felt safe in your connection with your caretakers. Then you probably have a more secure attachment style with other people. And of course it can change based on the person, you know, so like you may have a secure relationship with one person, but maybe a more avoidant relationship with another person. So it kind of varies. But then on the avoidant side, it's more like you had a caretaker that was almost intrusive um, to where you equate love and connection with almost um, a loss of your independence or your identity. So th these are the people that as soon as they get close, they get scared and they push people away because the thought is, okay, well, you're about to intrude upon my freedom, my independence. You're about to try to take things away from me um, and not allow me to be who I want to be or need to be. And then on the opposite side of the spectrum, you have the insecure attachment where um, maybe the parent wasn't always emotionally available. Um, maybe the child felt neglected in some way. Maybe the parents were just busy and distracted with other things um, and or maybe they were abusive in some way. And so it's this hot and cold kind of relationship. So the anxiously attached people as children basically learn okay, I don't know if people can really show up for me. And so I'm going to have to micromanage it to make sure that they're not going to leave me at any point. So these are the people that tend to be a little bit more clingy. They tend to be like, hey, how are we doing? How's it going? Where, you know, where is this heading? Because they really need to know that the person isn't going to leave. And then in this book called Attached, which I had read previous to this healthy adult book, she talks about how anxiously attached people and avoidantly attached people almost always end up together and they drive each other crazy in this toxic push-pull cycle. And so she's like, that's most of what's going on in the dating world. Um, and the most interesting part of that book is that she says, usually when you feel those quote unquote butterflies, it's not a spark or chemistry. It's your anxious attachment style being triggered. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> that makes so much sense. Cause she's like, then when you meet someone who's securely attached, it feels boring to you because they're not triggering your um, anxiety, basically. Mm -hmm. And so I think attachment styles are really interesting because I think it explains a lot in different relational dynamics. Um, and then it can also bring awareness to you and what you're doing, you know? So if you're like, okay, I understand this about myself. And then you're in a situation you're like, I just want to back off completely and disappear and maybe just ghost and start a whole new life. And <laughs> 
and just completely start over with a new identity, then you can be like, oh, okay, this is probably my avoidant attachment style coming out. I feel my independence is being threatened in some way. Okay, is that true? You know, and question it and kind of go from there. Cool. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm definitely going to get that book. That sounds fascinating. Now, what, uh, what are maybe, uh, one or two books that you kind of said earlier, go over some of your friends' heads, <laughs> but you still like them. Are there a couple of those books that you wouldn't mind sharing with us? Yeah. So I think Joe Dispenza has a lot of good stuff. Um, specifically his book called breaking the habit of being yourself. That one's one of my favorites. It is a bit, difficult to understand at times if you're not really scientifically minded. Um, but that one made so that one, I mean, it has so many realizations from, um, even just the concept of the, the stronger the connection in your brain, the faster you'll end up there, you know? So when you are cultivating awareness, um, it, it was so helpful to me to realize, oh my gosh, how did I get from point A to point B so fast? I didn't even like, I didn't even feel it happening. I didn't realize it happening. Um, but having that awareness, I thought, oh wow. Okay. So this must be something that I've been doing my whole life. I've been choosing this path. Why is that? Why, how did I get there? And so then that helps you kind of slow it down and, and follow the thought process that got you there and then question, okay, are all of those things true or are those assumptions that I'm making? Okay. Well, if those aren't all true, then what's another, you know, conclusion that I can draw from this that isn't as painful for me, you know, or isn't as harmful. Um, so I really love that book personally but it is thick and it is dense. So um, that's probably the main one. Um, trying to think of others. Attached is good. That one isn't really too difficult to understand. A lot of people um, have read that book and they're like, oh, wow. Yeah, that really makes a lot of sense. Um, let's see. But Healthy Adult ties a lot of different books together that I really like. So you know, she also ties in The Body Keeps a Score which that one's really cool um, in talking about kind of like the fight or flight responses that we have. Um, the most interesting thing I found about that book was the idea that, you know, there's a hierarchy to fight or flight, like fight is, is the first instinct, then flight. Um, and then if that's not available, then freeze. And that if something traumatic happens to you when you're younger and you, you can't fight back and you can't flee, so you freeze, then Every time after that, that you're in another, um, you know, equally stressful situation, your body's going to default to just freezing. Like you don't start over again every time, unless you're able to clear a lot of that stress and trauma from the body, but it remembers. And so I was like, Ooh, that's fascinating. So the people who just get overwhelmed and just kind of want to shut down, it's like, I just feel like that brings so much more empathy into uh, human connection because then rather than being really frustrated with um, one another, we can just get more curious, right? Like, oh, well, why is that? You know, why? Because for some reason, that's going to be the safest, uh, most protective response for some humans. Um, so rather than, you know, taking it personally or taking offense to it and getting angry, I feel like learning about these things is just helpful to kind of cultivate more curiosity in the world. Cool. Now I've got to ask you, uh, Acacia, where, where did you kind of get this, uh, 
uh, fascination or appreciation might be the the, the better uh, word to use uh, in regards to human connection, because that's something for me, uh, you know, actually I've been podcasting for almost five years and, uh, you know, previously uh, to uh, 2020, all of my podcasts were in person for the most part, right? Yeah. And through in-person uh, podcasting, which I just call it, you know, basically having in-person, uh, you know, con uh, conversations. I mean, that's really mm -hmm. what 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 we're having right now. But yeah. uh, through these podcasts and through these in-person human connections, like I personally realized uh, the power and the importance of of having that deep, stimulating, uh, in-person human connection. Like that was kind of something that was, uh, you know, eye-opening for me through the podcasting. Right now, mm -hmm. how did you figure out or gain this appreciation for? human connection and uh, kind of all things related to that? Honestly, I think I was just kind of wired this way from a very young age. I've always really valued my close friendships. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram, mm -hmm. but I, I figured out after doing the Enneagram, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago that I was an Enneagram type two and the Enneagram type two is really all about connection. It's a lot about helping, but it's also a lot about connection. Um, and so I was like, yeah, that, that resonates with me, you know? So since I was a kid, I was just always really interested in, um, understanding other people. And, you know, maybe that's because I didn't really feel very understood as a child. Um, but it's always made me really interested because you know, when you're a kid and you're like, I just want world peace. <laughs> like, why can't we all just get along? I think that it was really um, kind of depressing to see what was going on in the world and just all of the chaos kind of around me. But I was like, I just feel like if we understood each other more, we wouldn't be in this situation, you know, and just kind of growing up and seeing people misunderstand and jump to conclusions and, you know, have all these really strong emotions about what someone else is doing with their life. You know, um, it's just kind of, to me, hasn't really made sense. And I've just kind of thought, you know, why don't we just, because in my connections, you know, even as a young child, I'm like, these are great. This is very uplifting, you know, this is very rewarding. Um, so it just made me wonder, like, where else is this missing in the world? Um, how can we, how can we bring this back? Okay, cool. Very cool. Okay. Um, what life lesson have you been taught in the last year? And maybe it's uh, past the year, but kind of within the last year or two, what's kind of one of the major life lessons that you've uh, been taught or you've learned? I would say to slow down. That's really been my like resounding <laughs> message for the past couple years um has been slow down you know i think i have kind of bought into i saw a book um the other day in a bookstore that was like the cult of efficiency and i was like oh i've never i didn't i flipped through it i haven't read it fully but i was like just the title alone I'm sold. I was like, that's really true. And I think I've bought into the cult of efficiency and have just been like, oh, okay, how can I pack as many things into my day as possible while I'm out there on that side of town? I might as well do this and this and this. And then, you know, and it ends up with me feeling rushed all over the place. And I'm realizing that 
my body and my nervous system is so stressed out. And even after getting rid of a major stressor, it's like, not nah, we're still stressed out. And I'm like, what's going on? Why, why are you so stressed? Where are you holding all this stress from? And how come it's not coming out? Um, I realized, you know what? You just need to slow down, quit doing so much, quit saying yes to the things that you don't really want to do. Um, yeah. And just kind of, it goes hand in hand with like being more authentic with yourself, getting more connected to yourself, but yeah, it's just slow down, just do less, slow down and do less. So it's been really nice. Yeah. Now to, 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 um, uh, kind of go a little bit deeper with that. Now, do you feel like, um, there are seasons in life where you have to do more and you have to kind of be a little bit more aggressive in terms of attacking or pursuing your goals and, and, and kind of like, uh, you know, your, your ambitions and dreams, or you feel like slowing down and kind of being more monk-like, uh, maybe for a, a, a lack of better uh, terminology, uh, is something that uh, individuals can, can kind of live out every single day. So I think that depends on the person. Um, for me personally, I've spent the first 30 years of my life hustling, just mm. absolutely hustling, you know, and I appreciate that mindset, right? Like, I I mean, I kind of grew up with this understanding that like, no one's going to just give you a handout. No one's going to just give you what you want. So you have to make it happen. And so that made me very much a go-getter, um, kind of an overachiever, you know, but also like the sky's the limit. I, if there's anything that I want in life, I need to make it happen. Um, however, that burned me out really fast. So for me personally, and, and there's also another, um, system called human design that I've found out about, uh, as you'll see, I like a lot of these <laughs> systems, um, because I'm a system minded person, but what I've found out is that in human design, you have a type and the majority of people are generators, meaning that um, the way things work for them is to work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard, then they'll get this you know, achievement or result at the end. So that's like 80% of people. Um, they work really well with a nine to five. They like tons of structure and they like to repeat the same thing kind of every day. And that doesn't necessarily drain their energy. Um, but then there are like 10 to 20% of people that are projectors, which is my type, which is um, we actually don't do really well trying to fit the role of a generator. So when we work, 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 we deplete all of our energy. And I was noticing this in, in a previous job where I was starting to get so burnt out. I was living for the weekend. <clears throat> the weekend would come. I'd feel rejuvenated. And by like 12 PM on Monday, I was drained already. And I was like, this isn't sustainable. I need a weekend in the middle of my week to keep up with this. You know, my energy is just gone. Um, so for me, what I realized is that the generator work lifestyle isn't really for me. So I am much more effective when I get clear on what I want. Um, and then I allow the, those opportunities to kind of come to me and then go from there, you know, right. So I'm really built on connections. So I'm making connections, but I've found that trying to force my way is not really what's going to work for me. So kind of more just going with the flow, um, which then, you know, requires a lot of trust in, in the universe or higher power or whatever you want to call 
call it, um, that what's meant for me is not going to miss me. And so that allows my nervous system to kind of relax a little bit and stop being so hypervigilant and, you know, have this negative anticipation of always feeling like I have to be prepared for whatever is around the corner. Um, so for me personally, I feel like that season has passed. I feel like I've done that enough. Um, but for other people, I do certainly think that there's a season for everything. Cool. Okay. Last question kind of as the, uh, for the conversation starters, do you have a favorite quote, mantra or word? Mm, my favorite, honestly, my favorite mantra is just like, whatever will be, will be, you know, it's sort of just like, accept it, accept what it is. It's okay to feel disappointment for something, but then also accept it and move on, you know, can't change the past. Um, and you can't force anyone to do anything. So easier, easier on you to just accept it and, and move on. Cool. Love that. Okay. So Acacia, we're going to kind of transition into, uh, discussing or, or, uh, talking a little bit about your upbringing in your childhood. Um, I like to say, and I truly believe that as adults, uh, you know, sitting here today, we're products of the adults, uh, you know, that were in our lives when we were kids and throughout our childhood. Um, we don't have to become those adults, but they definitely have a, a huge impact on our lives. Probably getting into some of that psychology talk that you were sharing a little bit earlier. I truly believe that. So um, will you talk a little bit about where you grew up? Uh, what was your upbringing like? What was your childhood like? What were you like as a young person? Kind of just walk us up to about high school and then stop kind of in the high school years because uh, we'll kind of just uh, transition uh, from there at that point. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in Dallas, Texas, um, went to a private school there for until about second grade when we moved to Austin, Texas. Um, and so that transition went from private school to public school, which was a bit of a culture shock um, and really only lasted in public school for a couple of years uh, before I really couldn't take it anymore. So I kind of went from this like really sweet, happy, sheltered, you know, child with great friendships um, and just really great you know, memories overall to being dropped in the deep end, um, you know, going to a school where kids were not necessarily kind, you know, the expectations weren't the same. Um, the teachers weren't really even that respectful. You know, I got in trouble. I had a kid um, when I was in like third grade, call me a retard had no idea what that even meant. Right. But I'm like, that feels like something you're saying to insult me. So I'm just going to say that right back to you, you know, then, of course, I'm the one who gets in trouble for it. I get a lecture from the teacher. I get sent to detention and I'm I'm in third grade. I have no idea what's going on, but I'm like, what? On principle, I don't understand why I'm the one getting in trouble. So for my like two and a half years in public school, it was a lot of that. It was a lot of like struggling with why are these people who are adults who are supposed to be examples for me being so hypocritical? I don't I don't understand. Like, why? Why am I being held to a higher standard than they are? Um, so it was just really disorienting for me. Um, and I kind of became this like hardened, sarcastic, you know, jaded little child where I was just like, ew, people are gross. I don't like any of this. I wish I could just go back to Dallas, you know, um, really, really didn't have the best time. So eventually my parents found another private school sent me to in fifth grade and I was there until I graduated. Um, and that was a lot better. But, you know, during that time, I I quit 
you know, I used to be like a very good student. Um, but during that time in public schools, like, I don't care. I'm not going to do any of this stuff. <laughs> you know, like I don't want anything to do with anything here. Um, and had to kind of transition out of that. But once I went to the other school and the teachers were much more caring and empathetic, um, and really like sat down with me and were like, well, what's wrong? You know, like, why, why aren't you interested in doing this? Is it this? Is it that? And I could kind of tell that they really cared about me. Um, then I was like, okay, I care again, you know, like I'll do this because I trust this teacher and I trust that they are holding me to a higher standard out of love and not necessarily out of punishment. Um, so I went to that school until I graduated. Um, it was really great. It was a classical Christian school that was all kind of built around um, really just critical thinking if I had to distill it down to, to one thing. Um, so our our whole high school was really built around giving a senior thesis to graduate, which was very um, unusual for most high schools. So we had to take a logic class. We had to take a rhetoric class. Um, and then in the second rhetoric class was our senior year when we had to give our senior thesis. So it was really stressful. It was very demanding, very rigorous. Um, but thankfully for me, that was kind of my learning style. You know, like I really, really liked the challenge um, and that kind of lit a fire in me and really motivated me to do a good job. Um, so in high school, I was kind of like almost like a chameleon, you know, not in the sense of just like didn't really have an identity, but I got along, you know, I played basketball. So I got along with the athletes. Um, but then I also really had a lot of close friends in the like, we don't really fit in with anyone kind of group. Um, but then because I played basketball, I was friends with some of the popular people, you know, so I was just kind of in the middle. Um, but then I was also in like the accelerated math program. So it was like, I'm friends with the nerds and friends with the cool kids and friends with the people that feel like outcasts and friends with everyone. Um, so I really got along with everyone. It was a very small school. So it felt like being in a fishbowl and just being like under constant <laughs> observation at all times. So that really motivated my decision to go to a very large college um, and just kind of blend in disappear. But, but yeah, that was pretty much the gist of high school for me. Okay. Now, um, I want to ask you about the, the the Christian aspect of the school. Uh, I'm assuming uh, that maybe you had some sort of like chapel services and and that was yeah. integrated in with uh, maybe, uh, you know, the, the education in terms of taking maybe some Bible classes or something. Now, yeah. uh, for you personally, uh, you know, did did you grow up in a, like a Christian home and was that uh, education with the, the the Christian backing just kind of in alignment with your home life? Was that uh, new to you. Um, and then just, I want you, if you don't mind, talk a little bit, uh, you know, we're not supposed to talk about religion or anything, uh, in, in a lot of places we go, but this is my podcast. So we can talk about whatever we want. So if you don't <laughs> mind, uh, talk about, you know, that Christian influence. And then where do you kind of stand current day in terms of like what you believe, uh, like your spirituality, things like, like that, if you don't mind touching on that, Acacia. Yeah, yeah, of course not. So yes, grew up in a Christian household, um, grew up really Baptist. Um, but then when we moved to Austin, there wasn't really a close Baptist church around or there was. And then we switched to a Bible, which is like non-denominational church. Um, so yeah, that was really familiar to me growing up. Um, 
And then at the high school, we would have a chapel service once a week. And then we would have classes kind of here and there, you know, throughout the years where it would be like um, a Bible class, maybe um, an apologetics class where you're kind of learning about the other religions, but only so that you can defend your own. Yeah. Right. Which I'm like, I mean, that was almost that was almost really helpful. Um, I, you know, I, I think it would be more beneficial to understand all religions so that you can see where the similarities lie. Um, and then also kind of tease out the differences, not necessarily so that you can say this one's the best. Um, but yeah, so we had classes like that. Um, and then also from fifth grade, well, really you could take it through, um, high school, but we had to learn Latin. So from fifth grade to eighth grade, you, had to learn Latin. That was the only option. And then once you hit um, eighth or ninth grade, then you could switch and you could get real crazy and you could learn Spanish if you wanted instead. <laughs> so I, I switched to the Spanish route. But um, yes, so growing up in the church was, you know, it was very familiar to me. It was very comforting in a way, reassuring. Um, but as I grew older, you know, I, and even when I was a kid, honestly, I noticed a lot of discrepancies. So, you know, being told a message like, oh, trust, have faith, you know, trust that everything's going to be okay. But then seeing the adults around me, um, kind of worry about a lot of things that to me were outside of their control was confusing. I was like, well, wait, which one is it? <laughs> you know, are, are we, are we trusting this higher power or, or are we not, are we trying to control? Okay. You know, um, and then also learning about the Pharisees and how, you know, rigid they were about the law and how judgmental they were. And then Jesus's reaction to them, which was very much like, oh, honey, you know, like you're missing the point. And then kind of looking around me and seeing like, do y'all not see the the similarities here? You, you're, you're so hyper fixated on like what someone's doing. You don't really care you don't really have the capacity to hold space for what that person's going through. And you don't even necessarily care to know what's going on in their heart. You're just so focused on what you see on the outside and you're really happy to judge about it. Um, but you're real quick to say you're not judging, you know? So it was like, ah, I'm just really confused about what's going on here. But, you know, I, that was what I grew up knowing. So I embraced it. Um, and then going off to college, I met a bunch of people that really kind of shattered a lot of those ideas for me. Um, so, you know, having, knowing someone who had an abortion and like actually getting to know her experience, um, having a really good friend who was gay, you know, and realizing like, what? These are some of the best people I've ever met. You know, they have these really rich hearts. They have so much to offer. Why would we just cast them aside because of something that they did? Why? I just don't understand. So for me, going off to college was really eye-opening um, and really made me question a lot of that faith. And so I really stopped identifying with it. Um, really until I discovered, um, Jen Hatmaker, who is, um, a speaker and a preacher in Austin. And she had a church that was very socially conscious. And she had, I don't even remember what year it was, but I mean, it was like almost a decade ago or so that she made this public statement. She and her husband were like, yeah, we welcome the LGBT community to our church. And it sent ripples, you know, throughout, throughout that whole group where it was like, oh, 
oh my gosh, she's, she's the worst. She's going to hell, you know? And I was like, there's someone out there who, who kind of thinks like me fascinating. So that kind of drew me back into the church because I kind of felt like before that, I kind of have to pick and I don't really identify with just tossing people out and judging them based on these actions. Um, But because of that, you know, looking back, I can see that a lot of my own personal wounding, I do think comes from Christianity. And, and I do think that religion has a lot to offer. Um, but I do think also think that Christianity in particular, um, really idolizes martyrdom. Um, and so it really sets people up to get disconnected from their own needs, their own feelings, um, and really honoring what they're feeling and just really making other people the priority, right? So it's like, oh, I'm going to be third. (laughs) My needs are third, which I think leads people to get burnt out. I think it leads people to resentment. I don't think it's actually what Jesus wanted. Um, And so in kind of grappling with all of that, I have gone back to looking into, okay, well, what did Jesus really say, you know, and, and Phil and I were talking about this, um, last month, but I found this book that was, I can't remember what it was called, but it was like the mysticism of Jesus. Um, and it was talking about, cause to me, what drives me crazy is people using scripture to support their horrible behavior or their horrible judgment. Um, because I'm like, yeah, you're taking something that was written in a different language and translated. And there are multiple translations, by the way, and you're picking the one that serves your agenda and you are nailing people to the cross over it. Um, so I'm like, mm, that doesn't really do it for me. Um, so to me, it's like, okay, go back and look at the Greek. What are the Greek words? Meaning Greek is so much more vibrant of a language than English. Um, but then even if looking at what Jesus was saying, it's like, well, Jesus didn't speak Greek. (laughs) He would have spoken Aramaic. So you got to go back to the original language. If, for example, we assume that John wrote down everything that Jesus said verbatim, you know, and it wasn't just paraphrasing, then let's go back to his actual native tongue. Let's see what that looks like. And the Aramaic language is beautiful. It's much more flowery and poetic. um, But one word can mean 10 different things based on the context. So it allows for a much different interpretation. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at now is like, yeah, that that's the Jesus that, that I believe in. I think that that spirit aligns with who he is. Um, I think that's what he would want for people. So to me, I don't really associate with the church anymore. Um, I know that some people are like, she's lost, (laughs) you know, as a result, but I'm like, nah, I, I just, I think we have, we all find our our own way and um, it's, it's a deeply personal thing, right? So you can't necessarily look at someone and say, oh, they don't have a relationship with Christ. (laughs) It's like, well, you don't know. And it's not really your business. So. All right. I appreciate you touching on that. Acacia. Now uh, college. Um, It sounds like, uh, you know, it was a, a great experience for you in terms of just maybe stepping into a little bit of your own identity and obviously uh, exploring some different things in terms of what you believe. But uh, in terms of the academic side of things, what did you study and uh, what did you get your degree in? Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I went to LSU. Um, I studied nutritional sciences uh, with a minor in business administration. Okay. 
All right. So why did you decide to go that route uh, in terms of your studies? Mm -hmm. So for most of my life, I've had health issues um, that doctors have never really been able to fully understand or help me with. So I actually did my senior thesis on food sensitivities. Um, and then that kind of led me to exploring, you know, nutrition. And I maybe my freshman year, it was either my freshman or my sophomore year. Once I got into the weeds of nutritional sciences, I was like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if this is really for me, right? Like it was very much traditional um, nutrition, which really wasn't my vibe. Um, but I literally scoured the catalog of all of the other majors at like one at a time. It was like, does that fit? Does that fit? I don't know. And came to the conclusion, unfortunately, this is the best fit. I'm just going to stick with it and do it. And on the other side, once I get my credentials, I can do with it what I want. I don't have to practice this type of nutrition, um, but I might as well just buckle up and stick with it. So that was really what led me to it um, was kind of like my own, my own health journey and personal interest in nutrition. Okay. Now, uh, if you don't mind, touch a little bit on what some of the the health struggles that you had when you were younger that kind of led you down this route to uh, uh, studying uh, nut nutritional sciences in college. Yeah. So I think the first instance that I can remember was being in like eighth grade and I got what we assumed was a spider bite kind of on the inside of my knee and it swelled up enormously and I had to take an antibiotic for it. Uh, we went to the beach right after that and while I was at the beach, you know, we're only there for like a three day weekend, I'm breaking out in a rash. And so we're like, Ooh, okay. What, what's going on? You know, was there. So I, I come back to Austin and go to the doctor and they're like, Oh, this is weird. I mean, it could be an allergic reaction to the antibiotics, but that's really rare. Only 1% of people have that. So it could be like maybe sand fleas bit you. It could be something else. I don't know but let's take you to the hospital and do some testing. So I go to the hospital, they do a ton of testing and they're like, we don't know. It could be this, it could be that. Um, I'm in eighth grade and a doctor is literally coming in telling my parents, it could honestly be anything from sand fleas to leukemia. <laughs> and I'm like, sweetheart, I can hear you. Like, <laughs> If that's what you're going to say, go outside. Like, I don't need, unless you have some kind of reason to believe that it's leukemia, maybe don't just drop that bomb and then walk away. I don't know. Just a thought. So they do all this testing for three days. I'm in the hospital for three days. They just come to the conclusion, well, I guess it's just an allergic reaction to the antibiotic. Like, okay. <laughs> and they have to give me some steroids to control the, you know, immune reaction. And then I go home and I'm fine. Well, then a couple years later, I get sick and I don't exactly know what I have. So I'm going to the doctor and they're like, oh, we think you have the flu. They think I have the flu. They test me for the flu, comes back negative. Um, kids at my tiny school have mono going around. So I'm like, can you also just test me for mono? And they're like, yeah, but it doesn't really add up with your symptoms, but we'll test you for mono. Test me for mono, comes back positive. They go, we think it's a false positive. I'm like, fascinating. So they're like, okay, you're going to take this mono medication. 
I didn't have all the symptoms for mono. I take the mono medication. I get all the symptoms for mono. Suddenly, like I cannot wake up. I'm just sleeping for like a whole week. Um, my whole abdomen is super swollen. I had had scoliosis and I had had body work done to kind of help improve my posture. The mono and all the inflammation like pulled me back over. Like it undid everything. I, I couldn't, I couldn't sit up straight. Um, I had a fever. I was throwing up everything. I felt horrible. Um, and then after that, it took a really long time for me to get my energy back. So I ended up going to a couple different doctors and they were like, oh, well, you know, they kept doing all these tests and it was just always inconclusive. You know, they were just like, gee, we don't know. Gosh, I don't know why her liver is swollen as well as her spleen. And and me as like a high schooler was like, well, aren't you having me take this like really mega dose of basically Tylenol? Isn't that bad for my liver? And they were like, yeah, but like it wouldn't cause that. And so I quit taking it and then the swelling went down. <laughs> and I was like, what? Okay. Like this is frustrating to me. Right. And I also grew up watching house. So I loved medical mysteries and just probably always dreamed of going to a doctor like house who could like give me an answer to my own medical mystery. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of like one thing after another. And then finally, you know, the year or so after I had had mono and was having a, tr a tough time recovering, um, went to a different doctor who was a naturopath and they were like, so what do you eat? What's your diet like? And I was like, what? You're the first person that's ever asked me that. They're like, what kind of shampoo do you use? What do you put on your skin? What do you do? Um, they did a food sensitivity test and it came back with all these things that I ate all the time. And so sure enough, it was super hard to avoid for a while. Um, but then sure enough, all my energy came back. I started feeling great again. And I was like, man, these people are onto something. And it's kind of insane that if, you know, the body is this whole system that when you go to the doctor, they don't even care to ask you about half of your system. <laughs> and they're just trying to, you know, kind of adjust or hack, you know, these different processes. So for me, that was what really got me interested in kind of the like alternative nutrition um, route. But then going to school, you know, I, I realized after the fact that if I had gone to something like Bastyr University, you know, like there are universities out there that will train you in alternative nutrition. Um, but that wasn't available to me at the time. I didn't really know about it. So I got schooled in the traditional nutrition route, which I think was helpful. I'm always a fan of knowing the rules before breaking them. <laughs> um, and then that helps me kind of transition and go, okay, yeah, that's not what I want to do uh, with my practice. So I'll go this other way. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Cool. Okay. Now, what did you, like, once you kind of, uh, I guess once you were going into college and you, you chose to study, uh, nutrition and stuff, like at that point, what did you kind of want to do with that education or what did you want to, what did you want to be? And then once you had kind of had to study like the traditional rules of nutrition, did, did kind of things change a little bit in terms of what you want to do or be with that education and then talk about that. Like, and then kind of walk us through post-college, if you don't mind, Acacia. Yeah. So going into it, I think I was really interested in doing outpatient nutrition, you know, kind of like the, the naturopathic doctor that I went to um, when I was in high school, something like that, just seeing um, individual patients, you know, a few a day, that kind of thing. 
Then once I went into the program, you know, we did what was really beneficial is we had like a student dietetic association and we would have alumni come back and talk to us and kind of share what they do. So that way we kind of got this view of like all the possibilities, you know, of being a dietitian. So that really kind of opened my eyes. Um, And then I would say probably when I was in college, the dream was to be a sports dietitian just because I am a sports fanatic and was like, oh man, that would be the coolest thing ever, you know, Uh, work with athletes and help the sports team. Um, but then after leaving, you and then, okay, so I had to do a dietetic internship. So after you graduate, um, then you are applying for internships and they're all varying, you know, they have some, some of them will give you your master's of public health with it. Others are just giving you, um, the ability to sit for the RD exam and they're varying lengths. But so in doing, um, my internship, one of my rotations was, with a dietitian that worked for HEB, which is one of the main grocery store chains here in Texas. And that was really cool to me. So I was like, Ooh, I kind of like this concept of like, well, corporate wellness kind of, um, or just education based. Um, so that kind of appealed to me. And then once I left, actually the first job that I found was working for a functional medicine doctor, um, who did all of the alternative stuff that I was familiar with from when I was in high school. So I was like, Oh yeah, this is my world. This is what I know. Um, so I just kind of had the opportunity to go right back into kind of what I was originally interested in doing. Okay. Awesome. Now, uh, how did you, uh, find yourself with, uh, the silver fern brand? Now your official title, I want to make sure I get this right is chief scientific officer at silver fern brand. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. That's, (laughs) you're going to have to break that uh, title down because I have no clue what that means. That's a cool title, but um, so for everybody that's listening to uh, this episode with Acacia, uh, by the time you listen to this, uh, the CEO of uh, the silver brand, Phil, um, his episode will be available in live. So make sure you guys go and listen to, to Phil. He's the CEO of the silver uh, firm brand. And he's the one that actually connected me uh, with Acacia. But uh, so the question is, how did you get connected with the silver firm brand? What does chief scientific officer mean? And just walk us through uh, who the Silver Firm brand is and kind of like what you do uh, within that company and that brand. Yeah. So um, after I worked for the functional medicine doctor, I actually worked for a different supplement company. Um, I started doing digital marketing for them, just kind of educational. I was I was a writer, so I've always loved writing. And so for the functional medicine doctor, I was her ghostwriter for a lot of her blogs, things like that. Um, so when I met this other supplement company, they wanted help writing up, you know, white papers or just different educational resources. So that's what I helped them with at first. Um, then I started I joined their sales team. So I helped them with some sales, but sales wasn't really my thing. I really liked the clinical support. So I really enjoyed like answering any of the sales reps, um, clinical questions, like how does this connect to this or how can we connect this to that and doing research. Um, so that's really what I did at this other company. And then that led to 
joining the leadership team, um, becoming the director of scientific affairs for them. And so as the director of scientific affairs, I wore a lot of hats as you would at any startup. <laughs> um, so I was doing clinical support, but I was also researching. I was also, um, my mentor at the time was teaching me how to formulate new products. So I was doing research for formulation. Um, I was still doing a lot of research for connecting the dots, right, in a clinical setting. And then we were also going around the world, basically giving lectures at different medical conferences. Um, so I was also putting together presentations and doing research for these presentations. So there was a lot going on, um, but under the formulation hat, I formulated both for that company, which was a direct to practitioner brand, uh, but then we also had a private level, a private label sector. So we had um, companies like Silver Fern Brand that I would formulate for um, and as like a turnkey system, right? So they would come and say, hey, this is what we want. We want this to kind of be the outcome. This is our market. Um, here's our price point. What can you do for us? And I would formulate, um, do the research, provide a white paper, you know, kind of giving them like a, a story basically like a marketing story backed by science, you know, with all the references um, and then hand it off to our manufacturing team who would then manufacture it for them. Then going forward, anytime they had questions, Hey, how does this help with X, Y, Z? Um, my team would be who they would come to, to answer those questions. So I've been working with Silver Fern brand in that capacity for probably like eight years or so, um, just answering any questions they've got, you know, trying to give Phil compelling stories or stories or metaphors that really make sense for people. Because like we talked about at the beginning, a lot of scientific information can be really inaccessible to people. So really trying to come up with a way to make it more accessible was kind of my goal. Um, and then after I really came to a point at that last job where I was like, I'm burnt out. <laughs> I've, I've been working way too hard. I need a break. And the only way I can get that is to stop and, you know, take a quarter off and just like exist, you know, um, Silver Fern had reached out to me and they're like, Hey, you know, we'd love to work with you in any capacity. Whenever you're ready, we know you're burnt out. Um, so I have always loved working with them. Um, you know, Phil and Tiff have both been great. And so once I came out of my hibernation, <laughs> and my brain recovered from all of that. Um, I went back to formulating for them, um, but then also just, you know, providing that clinical support of why would someone have this symptom, you know, or how, how can we help with this, with these tools we have available and what other tools that we don't offer? Can we recommend, you know, cause, um, I don't know if Phil talked about this on his podcast, but he's, he's really, really, caring about his customers. And so even if there's something that we don't provide, he's like, Patia, what else can we recommend? Is there anything else out there that people can take? And I'm like, yeah, they can take this, they can take that, you know? So I really appreciate that about him. Um, it's that we're, we are really trying to help people. We're not trying to just say, oh, well, we just want to lock you down for life, you know, so that you're reliant on our products. We're like, no, we really want you to feel better. And then tell your friends, there are plenty of people that don't feel good. You know, we don't need to, we don't need to keep you stuck here forever. Um, so yeah, that was kind of how I, how I got to join Silver Fern. Okay. Uh, and, 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 you know, you referred to like you guys caring and, and Phil caring about the customers. And I, we, we did uh, have a pretty deep conversation about that because uh, I just sent a random DM, uh, you know, to, to, uh, silver fern brand, uh, uh, on, on Instagram, just saying, Hey, I, I just had a question. Cause I've had, I, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe when, when I was younger, I had some sort of gut issues or something, but I just feel like 
once I got into my thirties, like things just noticeably, noticeably changed. Right. And it's just like yeah. all, all the things, right. We don't, I don't yeah. want to get into my story right now, but um, anyways, I've, I've, I've done all kinds of protocols. I've seen the, you know, the holistic people and done all, done all the things. Right. And I'm like, yeah. so I was just like, whatever. I just th threw out a random DM and then, you know, Phil got on there and he was like going back and forth with me. I was like, wow, this guy's like the, the CEO of the company's actually like, yeah. talking to me. then he gave me his personal cell phone number. He's yeah. like, Hey, let's jump on a call. He, he, and then he proceeds for an hour, takes an hour out of his time to talk to me, send me some protocols, send me all the scientific backing, which probably is, is, is your, your, your work. And uh, so, yes, we did talk about that. And that was something that blew me away in terms of like a CEO of a growing company taking the time out of his day to spend an hour. And he, I had a personal training client, so I actually had to cut him off. I was like, it was like 60 minutes. I was like, hey, I was like, I got a client. Like, I, I've got to go. I'm sorry. Yeah, I got to go. He would have probably kept going for an hour and a half. But um, yeah. so, so that kind of drew me. And I was like, okay, this is something different. And so then, uh, you know, just some interactions with Phil, got him on the podcast. He actually gave us a specific discount code uh, for this podcast. So I'm starting yeah. to build a relationship with him. And, and I and I love it. And I've, I've yeah. been on a protocol since December. It's going great. But what I want to kind of, uh, I guess, kind of start ending our conversation with uh, Acacia is like this, this gut health thing, right? Like there's so much information. There's so many protocols, so many quote unquote specialists and, and, you know, mm. the, the biomes. And, and I mean, there's just so much stuff and people have to understand just like any supplements in any industry where money is a player. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of this stuff is just to, to a, a quick money grab in my estimation. Right. Cause I've, I've done a lot of this stuff and it, it doesn't help at all. So yeah. when it comes to gut health, I guess, from your perspective, where do we start in terms of, okay, I'm experiencing these things with my stomach, with my digestion, with my gut, where do I go from there? Like, let's just kind of give the, the listeners uh, a few simple takeaways if they are having some quote unquote gut related issues. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say personally, and it's, it's going to vary on, on who you ask. I personally think that if you have any digestive gut health issues, you have to look at stress because if you try to throw on, you know, supplements or even change your diet or whatever, you can't really outdo a dysregulated nervous system, right? There's, you can put all kinds of pretty band-aids on and it may help in the short term, but if it then ends up not doing anything, it's probably because you're under so much stress and it's tricky because our perception of stress is not always in line with the actual stress that our body is experiencing. Um, so I think that addressing stress with more mindfulness practices or somatic therapy, which is really just meaning um, therapy that involves your body in any way, right? So whether that's like, I'm just going to make sure I dance, <laughs> you know, a little bit every day, or I'm going to make sure I shake after, you know, a stressful situation just to get it all out of my system, whatever it is that you do, um, that resonates with you and makes you feel better do that. Um, but you know, like IBS, for example, which gets this like catch all diagnosis when doctors can't figure out what's wrong with you and you have digestive symptoms, they'll kind of just slap an IBS diagnosis on you. Um, 
has a huge connection to anxiety and stress. So whenever people are able to regulate that stress um, through calming their nervous system, it can do wonders for their IBS. That isn't to say that, you know, not there's nothing to do with your diet and there's no supplements that can help, but it's really the foundation. Um, part of it is that when we're really stressed out, our nervous system is the, the sympathetic nervous system is activated. Um, so your body is trying to protect you and keep you alive and digest is not the most important thing to keeping you alive. It's getting you away from danger. The parasympathetic nervous system is nicknamed the rest and digest system. So you're literally not going to digest well, and you're not going to have a great, um, you're not going to have great gut health if you're stuck in fight or flight all the time. Um, so that's the foundation. Um, stress is also like the number one cause of leaky gut and leaky gut is then what kind of opens the door to all kinds of different chronic illnesses. Right. So it's like, yeah, you can, you can do things in your diet to address leaky gut. You can also take supplements to help improve the integrity of your gut. But if you're going to be stressed out all the time and you're never going to help your body release that, then you're kind of just pouring water into, you know, a boat with a bunch of holes. You're, you're just kind of wasting your time in a sense. Um, so focusing on stress is really important. And that also addresses unresolved traumas. Um, cause like we talked about at the beginning, it's like, if, if something happened, that's going to cause you to go from fight to flight to freeze, then you need to address that. Your body is never going to feel safe digesting food and releasing. Um, you know, we talked to also in a, in a live people were like, what about, you know, I can't lose weight. There's trouble losing weight. And when we talk about losing weight, we're mostly talking about losing fat, but fat is an energy storage system, right? So it's like, um, doomsday prepping. You're not, if you are fearing the end of the world, you're not like, yeah, go ahead and take all of that water, go ahead and take all of those beans, you know, like all these things you've stored away for your own survival, you're not going to let go of those really quickly. Um, so you also have to look at how stressed is your body. Um, maybe it's holding on to that because it thinks you're dying, you know, it like actively thinks you're about to die. And so it's, it's, your body is very intelligent. Um, so to me, the whole concept of like, kind of biohacking your body, like hacking the system. It's like, nah, you're going to mess with one system, but it's connected to a lot of other systems. So don't think for a second that you can just kind of cherry pick a system and it's not going to have effects on other areas of the body. So I would say start with stress. Um, the next thing that I would focus on would really be absorption. So you do have uh, barriers in your gut lining um, that help with absorption. And what can happen when we get really inflamed is that we lose a lot of surface area where we absorb our nutrients. And so another main thing that we hear from people is like, man, I eat the healthiest diet. Like I eat all the right things. I consume all the right nutrients. And I still feel horrible. Um, and to me, I'm like, yeah, because you're not absorbing it. <laughs> you know, like people say, oh, you are what you eat, but you're not. You're what you digest and absorb. Because if you're not like, yeah, it's great if you're consuming those things. Um, but if your gut is so inflamed that you can't even absorb all those nutrients that you're giving it, then you're just wasting your money, your time, your effort, your energy, all of it. Um, so really working on rebuilding those gut barriers can be really helpful. Um, also because those gut barriers are where a lot of your immune system lies. So if you have any autoimmune or any allergies or anything like that, um, focusing on your gut barriers can then have this trickle down benefit to improving your immune system. Mm -hmm. So I would focus on stress, focus on gut barriers, um, 
And also in terms of exercise, what I've found is really fascinating because I personally am a rock climber, which is like super intense (laughs) exercise, really, really intense exercise, um, is a stressor for the body. So it's kind of counterintuitive because people are like, oh, but you know, when I am stressed, I like to go and have like a really intense workout to get rid of the stress. And it's like, yeah, it might be helping your emotional and psychological stress, but it's creating a lot of physical stress in the body. Uh, so the really, really intense exercise without any rest or recovery, um, is not only depleting your mitochondria, which are your powerhouse, you know, of the cell that gives you energy, uh, but it's also degrading your gut lining. And so it can cause a leaky gut. So, you know, balancing in some really chill exercise and restorative exercise along with your high intensity, um, exercise is really important. Okay. Um, probiotics, this is something that I know. Uh, I mean, you talk to people that think they know and they're like, Oh, you've got gut, uh, issues. Like go find yourself a probiotic. And the Mm -hmm. more that I'm learning, there's, there's a lot more to it than going to the grocery store and getting a probiotic. Uh, oh, so yeah. can you um, simply just share with all of us uh, why we should be taking pro- probiotics, why we shouldn't be taking probiotics, or when we sh- we we when is the right time? Like walk us through that uh, if you can, please. Yeah. So I do think that we all would benefit from taking a probiotic. We'll talk about when to introduce the probiotics. Uh, but first, the reason why we do want probiotics um, is because we're doing something every single day to damage our gut microbiome, right? Whether it's the foods we eat or the stress that we're going through or the exercise that we're choosing or whatever it is, you know, maybe we're drinking some alcohol, we're celebrating something. I don't know, but every day we're basically stressing out our gut microbiome and our gut microbiome is now considered um, to be an endocrine organ, you know? So it's, even though it's, it's, you know, for most people, it's not an organ it's an organ. It's a, it's a whole system. It's a very complex system, um, that interacts with all the other systems in the body. And in terms of microbiomes, the gut microbiome acts as like the master control center for the other biomes in the body. You have biomes in your eye, you have biomes in your skin, you have biomes in your lungs, in your, you know, all these other areas, right? So if you have something off balance in the gut microbiome, it's going to be off balance other areas in the body. So that's why the gut microbiome is really so important. Um, It's also controlling your immune system, which is like your defense against, you know, all of these things in our environment. Um, And because our environment has become so toxic now, just due to all the like man-made chemicals that we have, um, all these things that we've done to the environment to kind of enhance efficiency or to enhance profits or to enhance whatever, you know, like really trying to suck every little last bit out of every plant, you know, or every animal, whatever it is, um, we're usually adding in some things that end up disrupting a healthy environment, right? So because of that, there is a need to then go and repair that gut microbiome and support it on a daily basis. Um, does that mean you have to take probiotics every day for the rest of your life? No, but doing things that can help support your gut microbiome, like taking enough fiber, you know, prebiotic fibers, polyphenols, things like that, that can also keep them growing. Now, the benefit of a spore-based probiotic versus, you know, a lactic acid probiotic is that they, they like to stay in the gut for about 21 to 28 days. So once you have built up, you've been taking a spore-based probiotic for a while, then you can kind 
kind of dial it down to where you're taking it every other day, every two days, maybe just taking it on the weekends, right? Um, because that's enough to really help rebuild um, and support that gut microbiome. And you're adding in healthy fibers, you're eating a diverse diet, um, you know, and so everything keeps running smoothly. Then that way, you really don't have to take them as frequently. Um, you might want to up them if you're going to travel, right? Um, or something like that. Or if you're like, oh, people around me are getting sick, which is like a little extra support, um, you can increase them again. But yeah, the idea is that you want to introduce the spore-based probiotics to the point where you can just maintain um, and not have to take them every single day for the rest of your life. You can also inoculate if you have a garden, you know, if you're growing your own uh, fruits and vegetables, um, you can also inoculate the soil with some of these spore-based probiotics um, because they do live in that spore that allows them to survive in harsh environments like living in soil. Um, but ideally what they want to do is get into the intestines of a mammal. So that's kind of their goal in life, <laughs> um, though they can travel through the soil. So then the question is, okay, so should everyone just get on a probiotic right now? And the answer is no, because it depends on what's going on in your gut. You could be someone that's like, oh, I'm maintaining. I don't really have any major problems. My gut's pretty happy. You know, I'm pretty good at stress um, regulation. Everything's fine. You could introduce a probiotic and be great, but then someone else could have a ton of bloating whenever they eat anything, um, or they could have really bad cramping. And if they introduce a probiotic right away, most likely what it would do is cause a little bit more problem at the beginning than it's worth. And sometimes what it can do is if you have a ton of inflammation in the gut, it will cause a lot more um, and make the symptoms feel a lot worse, create a ton of discomfort um, before it can actually help improve the system. So it's not that you can't introduce probiotics at any time. It's just that it may make it more uncomfortable and it might make things a little bit worse before it gets better. And it depends on the probiotic you're introducing. So for example, if you had um, a bacterial overgrowth and you introduced like SIBO, which is a bacterial overgrowth in the small intestine, and you introduced a lot of lactic acid, so a lot of lactobacillus probiotics, those could actually make it worse. Um, so it always depends. And that's why for me, I'm like, I don't really give just like a blanket <laughs> statement to anyone, um, especially with, you know, people are like, oh, you know, um, probiotics, they're, they're just a scam. You should just eat fermented foods every day. I'm like, ah, I actually would not say that just, you know, as a blanket statement, because if you do have an overgrowth of anything in your gut and you're just going to dump a bunch of, you know, fermented foods, people think of as a source of probiotics, but they're really a better source of prebiotics, which are the food basically that feed the probiotics. Um, and if you just dump a bunch of prebiotics into a gut with a bunch of pathogens that have overgrown, they're going to have a feeding frenzy and they're going to go crazy. And then they're going to double, you know, they're going to get stronger and stronger and they're just making the overgrowth even worse. So um, there, there is, you know, kind of a more favorable order to introduce things. Um, so we really like to kind of calm that inflammation, soothe those gut barriers. Uh, we find that that helps people with significant gut inflammation tolerate the probiotics better, uh, but that's usually, we like to lay that foundation before we introduce the probiotics, just because we end up getting so many customers that have tried everything, you know, they're like, I've tried everything, nothing works, um, every, or it makes it worse. Um, and I'm at my wits end. Right. And so we're like, Ooh, okay. 
don't jump right into probiotics right away. Let us help you clean up your gut um, with our immunoglobulins. You know, let's restore the mucosal barrier that protects your intestinal lining. Um, and then we'll eventually get you into introducing the probiotics and then adding on some prebiotics to kind of help fertilize and maintain that gut microbiome. Excellent. Okay. So kind of the last thing in terms of the gut stuff, and then we'll, we'll, we'll head to the finish line. If somebody is having, you know, the, the bloating and all the symptoms and all the gut issues, uh, and you kind of already talked about, you know, the stress and some, you gave us some takeaways in terms of what we can do to kind of like, uh, start, um, you know, getting our, our gut quote unquote healthier, but mm-hmm. in terms of testing, uh, you know, like you said, uh, in high school, you got the, the food sensitivity testing and things like that. Mm-hmm. What, what, would, what do you recommend Acacia in terms of if somebody really wants to, you know, go see a, a professional and, and, and get tested so that they really know what's going on, what are some suggestions in terms of testing and tests that people can spend their money on and know that they're going to get some reliable information so they can kind of, uh, go from there. That's a good question. So testing is its own different animal, right? Like doing a food sensitivity test to me, isn't necessarily going to do a whole lot to help because essentially what you're going to find out is that if you have a ton of foods show up and it's the foods that you eat all the time, you have a leaky gut. Right. And so it's like, okay, well, thanks. (laughs) You know, so it's, to me, it's more important to know how leaky your gut is. Um, so that can be done in a variety of different ways. Most people like to do stool tests, but stool tests are also have their own limitations. Um, so I actually helped develop one stool test uh, called BiomeFX. It is whole genome sequencing, um, but even it has its limitations, right? So to me, testing is not always the end all be all for dealing with gut health issues. Um, because my approach to what we're going to start with is really going to depend on your symptoms. So I could do a test on you and say, Oh, you have this overgrowth and you're not producing much of this. And, you know, okay, I I've gathered that you have inflammation, right? Which is like, yeah, to me, it's like, duh, of course you have inflammation in your gut. If you're experiencing all of these things. So I don't need a test. I don't need you to pay hundreds of dollars for me to know that. Um, But you can find all that information and that may not necessarily change the way that I'm going to go about fixing your gut health, right? Um, That may help in the second step if we're like, okay, now that we've calmed things down, what do we need to attack um, or which order are we going to do that in? Um, But that it's kind of a tough question to, to answer, but I would say if you're going to do a stool test, um, stool tests can be really helpful. The other thing would be like an organic acids test, um, that's actually measuring metabolites in the urine. So that one can be helpful for confirming, um, like if you have D arabinitol, um, that's usually, um, a component of having a candida overgrowth. So that can be helpful to know, um, doing a, Doing a stool test can be helpful, but a lot of times, you know, if you're going to test for parasites, that's usually an add-on just because the genome of a parasite is so huge that they can't run it all with all of the bacteria that they're testing for too. Um, Same with candida. So you end up having to do all these add-ons just for specific things. Um, And then the trouble is that parasites are really good at evading detection. So, you know, they may not show up on a test. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And so that's the tricky part about it. So um, I don't know if that really answers the question, but 
that's that's what I would say. If you're if you're desperate and you just need answers, I would look at BiomeFX. That one um, is really helpful because you're not only looking at just the pathogens, but you're also looking at like the diversity of your gut microbiome, which is really helpful. We're also looking at keystone species, which are your beneficial bacteria um, that are also kind of like protective of your health. And so sometimes those can be really low and then you can figure out how to improve those because each one kind of has their favorite fiber, you know, like just like we have our favorite foods. So there are going to be certain fibers or certain um, polyphenols that will enhance the growth of those beneficial bacteria. So that can be helpful to know if you're super low in any of those. Um, but for the most part, I think it's helpful as a starting point to just go off of symptoms um, because what you're experiencing is going to determine the navigation, you know, like which path we're going to take. Like if you have constipation along with bloating and reflux and something, 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 I'm going to focus on the constipation first, because, um, part of the way that we eliminate toxins from our body is through the GI tract. And if you're backed up, then I'm not going to start trying to address any overgrowths. If you're already clogged up, you know, because then, then if you're clogged up, your body is going to try to get that out through your liver, through your kidneys. But if it can't, it's going to express it through your skin. And so you're going to break out. And I don't want that. So, um, I'm really going based off symptoms because that tells me which systems are messed up the most. Um, and then from there I can kind of unravel and untangle that knot, um, a little easier without necessarily spending hundreds of dollars on somewhat inconclusive testing. Mm -hmm. And that's <clears throat> the big takeaway from my time with Phil and going through this protocol that he gave me is that, Hey, we've got to get, uh, you know, uh, you got, we got to get uh, regular bowel movements. We got to get the system going in that direction so that we can basically flush things out and then build from there. So, uh, that I I've definitely learned that, uh, you know, through this process working with Phil. Now, do you do, uh, any like individual, uh, like, uh, nutrition or health coaching, or are you kind of more just working, uh, you know, with silver fern and, and whatever they have you doing? Yeah. So I have not come back into the space of coaching yet. Um, just because it's been a year about since I came back from being burnt out <laughs> and have been like, mm, mm, I'm really hesitant to do that, but, um, that's something that I'm thinking about. So I'm not sure either. We'll come up with some kind of program with courses, you know, to kind of help more people at once. Um, or I may offer some coaching. We'll see. But as of now, no, I'm just, I'll do, um, Q and a live Q and A's with Tiffany, um, on the Instagram. So on silver fern brands, Instagram, usually like every other Friday, that way people can just pop on if they're like, Hey, I have a question about this. I have this, what could it be? Um, but we also have a protocol, we have protocols up on the website. So you can actually go take a little quiz, um, input your symptoms. And then based on those symptoms, we'll say, Hey, this is the best protocol for you. Um, and then you can watch our videos where we explain kind of like why, we're doing things the way we're doing them and then what to expect in the future. Um, but for now, no, I'm just, just doing things with silver fern. Cool. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, Acacia, kind of the last question here, um, as we uh, wrap up this awesome conversation. So kind of the tagline for the podcast is conversations with those in pursuit of more. Uh, so my question to you is, uh, what are you currently, uh, in pursuit of or pursuing? That's a good question. I'm actually in the phase of 
dreaming that up for myself as we speak. I'm trying to figure that out. So really all I've, all I've kind of pinpointed is that, um, I want to see more beauty in the world. I think that there's so much beauty that this world has to offer. So right now that's kind of my North star and figuring out, you know, what I can do to, to do that um, and figuring out, you know, what that means for my career, what I want from that going forward. So I'm still, I'm still dreaming that up. Not really sure. Okay, cool. I love it. That is a very candid answer. I appreciate that. <laughs> now, um, Acacia, uh, if people want to uh, maybe, you know, connect with you outside of, you know, uh, the Silver Firm brand, um, where can people do that? So if you if you want to give out your Instagram or if there's a website or, or whatever, um, and then if you do have any final thoughts or any final words that you want to leave us, um, we've obviously had a very thorough conversation today, but if there's anything that you kind of want to just share with the world in, in wrapping this conversation up, uh, I'm going to turn it over to you. I'll do a quick outro and then uh, that'll be a wrap. So uh, where can we connect with you? And then any final thoughts or any final words? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram. My Instagram is memoirs of Acacia as <laughs> a play on memoirs of Acacia um, because that came out when I was in high school and everyone was like, ha it's funny. Get it. Cause you're Asian. Um, so that's my Instagram handle. Um, yeah. And I think if I were to leave you with anything, it would really just be honestly, to celebrate yourself more um, and to see yourself as your younger self would see you. Like, I think that if we, it's easy for us to kind of downgrade, you know, our accomplishments and what we've done and how far we've come. But I think that when you get into the, if you can look at yourself through the lens of like your younger self, most of us would be like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. That's badass that you did that. I can't believe that like, you know, we're going to do that at some point in our lives. So um, I think just being able to celebrate yourself is really important. Cool. Okay. Uh, Acacia, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing a little bit of your story and uh, just keeping it real with us. Really appreciate it. Okay. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. You're very welcome. Uh, all of you who are tuning into uh, this episode of Curious and Candid, uh, I just want to say thank you so very much. Um, if you guys want to uh, connect with Curious and Candid, if you want to connect with myself, um, you can uh, find us on Instagram and uh, our Instagram is curious and candid podcast. And then uh, if you want to uh, maybe not uh, reach out to me or us through Instagram, or if you don't have Instagram, maybe you think you'd be a great guest or you have somebody in mind that you think would be a great guest for the podcast. I'm always open to uh, hearing from all of you and any suggestions in terms of guests. I'm definitely open to that as well. You can just uh, send us an email and uh, connect with us, connect with myself there. And that email, email is curiousandcandidpodcast at gmail.com. And then, like I mentioned earlier in this conversation with Acacia, uh, Phil, the CEO of the Silver Fern brand, has been gracious enough to give us uh, a discount code specifically for this uh, podcast and this discount code, whether you're listening to this uh, the day it comes out or five years down the road. Uh, Phil said that this uh, discount code will be longstanding. I'm very thankful and grateful uh, for that. So uh, I would highly suggest, I, I, I'm only sharing this because I've been on um, the Silver Firm brand products for uh, quite a few months now. I've seen great results, um, starting to build a great relationship with Phil, really appreciate his honesty and being candid. Uh, and I highly recommend and suggest you guys go to uh, the Silver Fern Brands uh, website, check out all of their products. If you are struggling with uh, gut-related uh, issues, 
Um, like Acacia said, there's a lot of resources on the website. You can also connect with them on Instagram. But um, if you guys choose to buy some of their products and test them out, um, you guys can use uh, the discount code CC15 at checkout to save yourself 15%. Um, that would just be greatly appreciated to support all of us here uh, at Curious and Can Podcast. And then um, as we wrap up this conversation with Acacia, uh, I also just want to let you guys know we're kind of in the process of getting the podcast out to all the major uh, platforms. I know we're on uh, Spotify and uh, iHeartRadio and some of the other podcast platforms. We are not on iTunes yet and some of uh, the other podcast platforms we're not on there yet, but it takes some time. So um, if you can't find us on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform, please uh, be patient with us. Um, it's kind of a process. You shoot it out. They have to go through their processes on their side uh, to verify and things like that. But uh, like I said, we are uh, on Spotify. We are on iHeartRadio. So um, you can uh, connect with us and find us there. And then I'm going to leave you uh, with this quote by Roy T. Bennett. Uh, and it says, listen with cur curiosity, speak with honesty, act with integrity. The greatest problem with communication is we don't listen to understand. We listen to reply. When we listen with curiosity, we don't listen with the intent to reply. We listen for what's behind the words. We'll catch you guys later.